Well, we're in part two of a series that we've titled The Unstoppable Force. And we're walking through the book of Acts and we're looking at the birth of the church. And I just want to remind you as we look at the birth of the church, remember that church, the church is not a building. The church is each individual believer together. We are the church. And God's Holy Spirit works through us. We are the church commissioned by God to fulfill the purpose that He has for us and for this world. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to kind of look at all of this stuff. There's a lot of things going on in our, in our country today. We prayed about a few of them just a minute ago. You'd have to live under a rock in America to not know what's been happening in Washington, D.C. There's a lot of turmoil, a lot of chaos between COVID and between politics, between racial issues, all of that stuff. I believe that God is calling us as believers, as disciples, as the church back to our roots. That's why we're looking at the book of Acts to see how the church began. Now, I want you to know something. We can't control how, what things happen to us. We can't control all of the stuff that's going on. But God can use us to change the climate of the world around us. You, you may have heard the illustration, uh, be a thermostat, not a thermometer. A thermometer just kind of takes the temperature of the world that's around him. It doesn't change anything. It just lets you know what's going on. And let me tell you, in our country, the temperature for God is going down. Less and less people are serving God. But those that are serving God have the opportunity to be thermostats and to change the temperature of our, of our community and of our climate. We are the ones that change what's around us. So the world is ever-changing. It's always changing. It's never going to stay the same. Political leaders are going to come and go. It's just a fact of life. Political leaders are going to come and go. If you read through the history, if you read through the Old Testament, you see nations rise and fall. You see all of those things, and you see them walk through history. So political powers are going to come and go. Sickness is going to come and go. We have went, I remember in the 80s, AIDS was a huge thing in the 80s, and it's still a big deal. We never eradicated it. We just don't talk about it as much. So there are going to be sicknesses that come and go. There are going to be things that affect us from the outside all the time. Natural disasters. They come, they go. But there's this unstoppable force, and that's the church, that's the believers, that's us as disciples of Jesus. We're an unstoppable force, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Since Jesus came, lived, died for our sins and rose into heaven and told the church to wait for the Holy Spirit, Satan has been trying to disrupt what the church is doing. This, but he can't do it. As much as he tries, he's been able to slow it down. He's been able to give it speed bumps. He's been able to derail it from time to time, but he's never been able to stop it. We are that unstoppable force. We're going to talk about what it looks like. We're going to talk about what made the church, the early church, that unstoppable force. And we want to see that passion and that fire burn up inside of us as we move together, as we move towards Him. So in part one, we talked about how Jesus commanded 
the disciples, you know, Jesus spent some time after he died and was buried. He rose again. When he came back, he spent some time with his disciples and he told them some things. He proved to him that he was alive. But the most important thing is he said, wait here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, till the comforter, the advocate. We talked about that. He told them to wait and that wait for that promise that was to come, the Holy Spirit. He told them in Acts chapter 1 that that Holy Spirit was to help them to share the good news about Him throughout the world. And that's also what He told us in Matthew, that He gave the Great Commission to the church, and that's kind of the purpose of the church, why we exist, is for this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I want to read this quite a bit throughout this to remind us the purpose of the church. And it says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, the mission of the church isn't to build nice buildings, although we've done it throughout the years. Man, I remember a trip to, to Ireland a couple of years ago and walking through some of the amazing church buildings. Were pr- it was pretty awesome. So there have been some pretty amazing buildings built throughout the year. But you know what is really ironic about that? A lot of those church buildings that we saw were turned into other things because the church isn't a building. The church is you and me. The church is the disciples, the believers, the followers of Christ. Those that wear the name of Christ as Christians, we follow Him. We are the believers. We, we are the church. That's where we are, that unstoppable force. And I want to remind you that you, this time that the disciples were starting the church was a very brutal time. Think about this for a minute. They're under Roman government. So you have the Roman government, and then you have the Jewish leaders, and they kind of have different laws and different ways of doing things, but the Jewish leaders are kind of subject to the Romans in a way. The Romans could come against them and clash against them, and here's the thing. Jesus was just crucified by those Jewish leaders at the hands of the Romans. Now God's called them to spread the gospel. It's a pretty freaky time. There was a lot of political unrest. There was spiritual unrest. There was confusion. Doesn't sound that different than what's going on in our country today, does it? This has been the course of our world throughout history. Satan has tried to disrupt everything. One, to stop the church. That's what he tried to do by killing Jesus when he did. And and it it backfired on him and Jesus rose again and, and sent the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he tried to stamp that down. And we're going to read through that story in the book of Acts. But he's doing the same thing to you and I today. He's trying to get our focus off of the true mission of the church to make disciples and to get us focused on things that have really no eternal consequence. We get wrapped up in all of the trappings of this world and we miss what God's trying to do right before our eyes. And that's why when things blow up in our country like coronavirus or riots in our in our nation's capital and stuff, it sends us reeling. But what it does is it sends us back to 
the place where we get on our knees before God and we focus in on Him. So let's look at this Today we're going to look at Acts chapter 1 verses 12 through 26. We're not going to go through all the details of this. This is not an exegetical series going through Acts and unpacking it like you would read a commentary. We're going to hit some highlights. We're going to hit a few things that I think are going to help us that as we as disciples follow Jesus and fulfill our mission in this community. So let's look at Acts chapter 1 verses 12 through 26. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Remember, Jesus had just been taken up into heaven. Distance of about a half a mile. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Not Judas Iscariot. Sometimes gets confusing. They all met together, it's verse 14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when, the, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scripture had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery, falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place in Aramaic the name Eklidima, which means field of blood. Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know the heart of every you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen. As an apostle to replace Judas in ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become the apostle with the other eleven. Now, I'm going to take just a minute right here. I'm going to do a little sidebar. This isn't going to be in the notes. It's going to be anywhere. I'm not going to really talk a lot about the casting of lots. Some people think, well, oh, did they leave it to chance? No, this was a pretty common practice back in the biblical times to cast lots over a decision that needed to be made. And what they did, what they would do is they would pray. And then they would do something like throw a dice, throw a stick, or whatever, and whatever it would land on, that would be the decision. Now, the reason that they did this, and I kind of almost wish we'd have done it with picking our our president, it would have saved a lot of problems. The reason they did this was that nobody could influence it and nobody could argue against it. They left it to the province of God to choose who that person was going to be or to decide the outcome of that. And they did it by the casting of lots so there could be no outside influence. 
Do you believe that God can control something like that? Absolutely he can. So we want to trust God in those things. But this isn't about the casting of lots or about how that works in making decisions. A lot of people kind of get a little bit confused by that, but I I did want to throw that out there real quick. But what I want to focus on today is verse 14. Because I believe this is where we're at in our country today. This is where we're at as a church. Today marks the beginning of a 21-day or 21 days of fasting and prayer. And we're going to talk about that. But look at this. In verse 14, it says, They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. We don't know everything that Jesus did while he was with the disciples in the three and a half years that he walked with them. But we do know this. He would often withdraw and pray. He would often pray with them. If you remember, right before he was taken and arrested, he called the disciples and went up to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed and he asked them to pray with him during that time. Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, needed to pray. He led us to pray. He showed us that prayer is important. And so... The first thing the disciples did when they left, remember this is a tumultuous time. They had just seen Jesus crucified, rose again. They seen him ascend into heaven and he told them to wait. So during that waiting period, they didn't just sit around and play games. Although I'm sure they did some fun things. They didn't just sit around and go, well, what do we do? Watch their favorite TV show. They didn't um, scroll through social media put their favorite hashtag out there. Didn't tell everybody, look what I did ate for breakfast today. Look what I'm doing now. We live in a very interesting time and culture today. We're more than ever before. We feel like we have to put everything before everybody else and put up an image or a front. What they did is they came together unified in prayer. Now, I don't believe that that is prayed constantly. Actually, the period from the time of Jesus' crucifixion, which was at the Passover, to the day of Pentecost, which we're going to talk about next week, was when the Holy Spirit was given, is about 50 days. So from when Passover began to the day of Pentecost is 50 days. So in that time, Jesus was crucified. He rose again. He spent time with his disciples. So there was time in between. I believe that the disciples spent about 10 days, I believe it was, after Jesus ascended into heaven before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There was time for fellowshipping together and and coming together and praying together. So what they did, they were unified in prayer. That's the first point today. We need to be unified in prayer. Disciples had a common purpose and a common mission. They were the followers of Jesus, and Jesus had commanded them, one, to wait, and two, to tell the world about Him and what He did. They couldn't start that ministry of telling everybody until the promise came, until the Holy Spirit came. So they needed to wait. 
So they were unified in prayer. I believe this was both personal and private prayer. Here's what we can learn. One, they were praying individually that God would give them strength, that God would lead and guide them, but they were also unified in that prayer. Remember last week we read Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12? I want to read it again. It says, Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person fails, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is real, in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. The disciples were using the first part of the formula while they waited for God. They were, remember I told you that us plus the Holy Spirit, plus each other, means an unstoppable force. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit. So what they did is they unified together in a common purpose and a common prayer. One of the reasons we start the new year out with prayer and fasting is to get us all on the same page, to pray for the same things, to fast at the same time so that we can be focused on what God's going to do in and through us this next year. Some of you know kind of the driving force of our church, and it's the driving force of us as Christians. Matthew 22, 37 through 39 says this, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second and equally important is to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything we do as believers is driven by those two things. So as we're fasting and praying, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to pray that we draw closer to God, that we become more like Him. That's our number one priority. So we're fasting. When we fast, we give up something that's important to us, like certain foods or food in general. Whatever it is, it's a sacrifice that we're giving up so that we can focus in on drawing closer to God. Number one. Second thing is that God would fill us with the Holy Spirit. That's the second thing I want us to pray for as a church, that God would fill us individually as the Holy, with the Holy Spirit so that we would be empowered. The promise that God has for us, that each one of us would be full of His Holy Spirit. So one, we're unified in prayer so we can draw closer to God. Two, so that we can be full of the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's how we do what God's called us to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the third thing I want us to pray for and focus on is that God would give us opportunities to use our gifts. That He would give us opportunities to use our gifts. See, when we're praying and fasting, it brings us into unity together. We're doing this together as a body of believers. That's our purpose. That's our intention. That when we do it together, there's power. Look at Matthew 18, 19 through 20. It says this, I also tell you this, this is Jesus speaking. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered, Together, as my followers, I am among them. There's power in the multiple of numbers. So we need to come together and pray for that common goal that we will draw closer to God, 
that we will be full of the Holy Spirit, and that we will be able to use what we have to make disciples. That's the birth of the church. We, if we do those things well, we will be following in the footsteps of the disciples, making other disciples, and birthing the church in our community, and launching out in our community. Not building buildings, not putting on activities, but making disciples. That's our job, every one of us as believers. If you're not a believer, this doesn't apply to you. But every one of us as believers is required, commanded to make disciples. We're going to talk more and more about making disciples. It starts with just building relationships with people because, like we've said millions of times, if you're walking, if I'm walking with Jesus and I invite somebody to walk with me, eventually they're going to meet Jesus. So we're going to build relationships. We're going to disciple people so that they can come to know Christ and then teach them how to follow and be disciple makers themselves. That's the whole purpose. So the first thing is to be unified in prayer. The second thing is this, be persistent in prayer. This wasn't a one-time thing where the disciples came together. They consistently, if you remember in verse 14, they consistently prayed together, came together. 21 days, we're going to do it consistently for 21 days, and I believe it'll go past that. Actually, out of our 21 days from last year, we've continued that prayer time throughout the entire pandemic, four days a week. We gather together and pray from 4.30 to 5. I encourage you, if you're not a part of that, be a part of it. If that time slot doesn't work, let me know. We'll find a time that we can get together and pray. But join with us. Even if you can't be on the Zoom at 4.30, pray at that time. Join with us in prayer. They continually met together to pray. Jesus gave them one last illustration. I'm going to close. Jesus told them to be persistent in their prayers. And he gave an illustration in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. He said, Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, waiting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived to visit. I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from the bedroom, Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are in bed. I can't help you, but I tell you this. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who, not, who asks receives, for everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks the door will be open. Your fathers, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We are to continually knock at the doors of heaven until we receive the answer to our prayers. Now I'm going to leave this word of caution. A lot of times we miss the answers to our prayers because they don't look the way we think they should. Or, God doesn't answer them the way we want Him to. We need to expect God to answer and then be ready when He does. 
That's why we're going to pray together unified, but we're going to do it persistently. We're going to keep knocking so that God will fill us with the Holy Spirit, so that He will make us better disciples, so that He will lead and guide us. I want to wrap up with this. I want to challenge you as we start this fast today. 21 days. It's between you and God what you choose to fast, but it needs to be something that costs you something. Focus on these things. One, that you will draw closer to God. And pray that your brothers and sisters in Christ will draw closer to God as well. Two, that He would fill you with the Holy Spirit. Number three, that He would give you an opportunity to use your gifts to disciple others. That's where we become thermostats and not thermometers. We change the climate of the culture around us. Number four, pray for our nation. I put that out there because it's very important, but I truly believe the best way we can change our nation is to change the climate of the world around us. That's the only way we're going to change this nation is by to change the climate of the world around us. It will spread from there. It will go out from there. So I'm going to pray over you today. We're going to pray over these things right now. And then we're going to begin this fast together. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I come before you right now and I pray that you would draw us together in unity, that you would unify us under one purpose, that we would draw closer to you, Father. Lord, help each one of us to draw closer to you. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit today so that we would be empowered to do your work. And then, Lord, I pray that you give us opportunities through the leading of your Holy Spirit to touch and change the lives of those around us. Then, Father, we ask that you would touch our nation, that we would be climate changers around us, that we would, Lord, change the world around us so that it will change our nation and draw it back to you. Lord, help us to focus on the right things today and pour your Spirit on us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. If you have any questions about the fast, please use the chat window so that we can kind of go over that with you. Request prayer if you need to. We love you and thank you.